This is a Morley Radio podcast. Welcome to the London Hat Week podcast series. This is episode one of series two, an interview with Jeremy Angel and Rachel Goldsmith from Angel's Costumes. I'm Georgina Abbott, co-founder of London Hat Week and owner of Atelier Millinery, a headwear business based in London. Uh, I'm Becky Weaver. I'm the co-founder of London Hat Week and also the editor-in-chief of Hat Talk e-magazine. Hi, hi, Becky. Great to see you and actually looking at you on screen as well, which is a, a novelty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't get to see each other very often these days, do we? <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> so this is this is brilliant. We're so um, glad to be working with Morley again. We, we, we um, did, I think it was eight episodes last season, and we're just working our way through signing up some some great guests for season two and uh, really enjoying talking to them and um, and working out which are going to be the most interesting topics for everybody. Yeah, so um, before we get to this week's uh, special guests, um, who else do we have lined up so far for this season, Georgina? So um, we have got uh, Jane Shrimpton, who is a really interesting woman. I really enjoyed talking to her. She, um, I saw her first on an episode of Who Do You Think You Are, which is a series that's on TV here in the UK, and um, it's all about family trees, so genealogy. And Jane um, is able to find out all sorts of information from photographs. And she basically takes her cues from the fashion items that she can see in the photographs. And she can then date the oh, photos. Wow. And sometimes that helps people really pinpoint um, things they've been struggling with in their family history research. Um, but she has all sorts of other applications of this amazing skill and uh, wealth of knowledge. So I think she's going to be a good one. And she's got some great photos, which we will put on social media. So people can see these really cool hats in the pictures that she has and uh, she'll tell us the story behind how she does it. it sounds amazing anyone else yeah we have uh, <laughs> we've got um, Marina South and uh, we were introduced to Marina by uh, um, Kirsten who uh, used to be one of the leaders at um, Kensington and Chelsea College which has recently merged with Morley and Marina is an expert on sustainability and it's a really interesting question because we know that lots of milliners ask themselves how could they make their businesses more sustainable how can they think more about ethical sourcing it's a real minefield and um, as a small business owner it's it's you know it can feel like another pressure another thing to think about and how do I find out about it from a reliable source and um, well Marina is that source so we'll just be picking her brains on um, what should we be thinking about excellent yeah I mean I think uh, we are London Hat Week, but I think it's exciting that we're kind of like pushing, thinking outside the box a little bit as to, as how hats relate in other areas and uh, other applications. That's exciting. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and also a lot of our uh, followers are small business owners, aren't they? And a lot of them are thinking about these are bigger questions. It's not just about making hats, but it's sometimes quite hard to get some advice on that. Um, another thing that's been cropping up a lot recently is cultural appropriation mm -hmm. and also the use of vintage items and when is vintage really vintage and yeah. when is it not? 
Um, and we have a great contact through an old stockist of mine, actually, um, Revival Retro. And they have a friend of Revival is Nora Fines. Mm-hmm. And um, Nora is a really international woman. You know, she's lived all over the world and uh, she's a great collector of vintage clothing and um, she's very active on social media and she's made some um, really interesting comments on her account about cultural appropriation and so it's going to be a really interesting conversation with her and you know another thing to think about we won't solve it in half an hour but it it will give us a way into that and and to just start start thinking about it yeah and that's really important definitely um well, I think we're very lucky today um, to be joined by two very knowledgeable people um, from the world of costume, um, mm-hmm. and theatrical millinery. Um, I should say before we get to that, that due to the pandemic, we're not in the studio, so we are recording this remotely. Um, so we do apologize in advance for any sound glitches, but um, we are very privileged to have Jeremy Angel, who is director um, the production director at Angel's Costume mm-hmm. in London, and also Rachel, um, who is the head of the alterations department and so much more as we'll find out. Mm-hmm. So um, in case you haven't heard of Angel's Costumes, I'll just uh, give give everyone a brief overview. They are the largest privately owned collection of costume for film, theater, and television anywhere in the world. Um, they are based in London, and Angel's has been going since 1840, which is amazing. Um, and it's now in its seventh generation um, of being a family-owned business. They have over one million items and eight miles of hanging rails full of costumes of every kind, which is just kind of mind-blowing. And we're excited to hear them describe that a bit more um, because we can't see it in person right now. But Angel's costumes have been behind an impressive number of BAFTAs and Oscars. Um, It is literally a dream location for any milliner hatter, costume maker, or home sewer. Um, We were originally introduced to Jeremy um, and team by Liz Waldy, who's done a fabulous job of organizing the London Hat Walk and behind the scenes tours for London Hat Week in recent years. Um, We were planning um, on having some tours. Angels were welcoming groups for London Hat Week last year um, to see behind the scenes of the costumes warehouse that sadly was postponed due pandemic but um we certainly are hoping that 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 is something we can repeat or try again in the future for so jeremy and rachel thank you so much for taking part in the podcast and um jeremy i'm going to come to you first could you tell us about Angels and, and your role in the business? Yes, certainly. Um, well, thank you for having us. Um, so Angels has been going, as you said, since 1840. It's been in my family since my, I'm going to get this wrong now, my great, 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 great grandfather. I'm um, I'm seventh generation in the business, eighth generation in the industry. Um, we've always been tailors. Um, that's where it all began for us. My my relative came over as a tailor um, and um, with his family. There's a whole story behind it. Of originally wasn't earning enough money, so took another job, had to give the business to his son um, and how it all, all grew from there, as from basically from what was known as a rookery um, in central London, which then moved to um, 
a barrow in Covent Garden, which then moved to 119 Shaftesbury Avenue, which has now moved to One Garrick Road in Hendon. So it's grown over the years, but our roots are in tailoring and it's been family owned uh, throughout that entire time. So we've seen the ups, the downs, the let's not repeat those and uh, let's have more of that situations. Um, and uh, we're here today, that's what we do. So we supply costumes to film, TV, theater, um, fancy dress as well. Um, the warehouse is, if you lined everything up, it's about 10 miles of hanging rail um, mm. in the main warehouse. We then have, I was about to say three workrooms, but at the moment with all the changes and everything, we've got four workrooms. Um, uh, based here of which uh, Rachel works it work, well works and runs one of them or two of them and I'm not sure is it one and one quarter we're going to say with with the rooms that you, that you <laughs> yes, run okay. um, and um, she's been here for many years many different roles as well but the making rooms are an essential part to what we do um, and yeah so that's a real real condensed history of angels i don't want to go too much because i'm hoping your listeners are going to come on a tour when we reopen and if, whether it be six months to a year and yeah. if they're stuck with me as a tour guide or if it's uh angela as a tour guide <laughs> i don't want to take anything away from that okay yeah so this is just a teaser a trailer <laughs> for the main event i mean i can't wait um myself to come and have a look um so so rachel jeremy told me that your actual role is head of alterations but it sounds like your job is a lot more than that so could you tell us a bit about your role um well oh do you want the history or my <laughs> present role <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your current role. My current role is Head of Alterations and Millinery. Um, I fought to get millinery put back under the alterations <laughs> room, um, which they agreed to, thankfully. And and I just, I look after a team um, who alter costumes after fittings. I attend the fittings, um, have meetings with designers if it's a make, because um, mm. apparently we're not a making department, but we make anything that anybody else doesn't want to make comes to us. <laughs> so if it's gloves or um, anything that's a little bit weird, which we all love. Um, yeah. So we get stuck with that, which is great. And um, so, yeah, anyth and we alter just about anything and everything from um, birds' heads to military costumes, um, hats, anything and everything. And a lot of redressing of hats as well. Um, yeah. Because obviously it, this, the shape can be pretty much the same, but it can have different feathers, different ribbons, which will make it a whole new hat. Yeah, that's right. And that um, tackling anything is uh, familiar to me as well as a milliner. <laughs> I think you just learn to turn your hand, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah, it keeps it all very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel's motto, at least the room's motto, is they've never said no. I think anything that we, we suddenly yeah. find that we need to do gets done. And even if it's a random one of a, a cuddly toy needs repairing, Rachel's department. <laughs> oh, yes, I forgot about those. <laughs> For children uh, or animals, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a game show. <laughs> so because we can't do the tours at the moment, um, Jeremy, can you kind of conjure up a, a virtual tour for us? How is it organised within the warehouse? So when, when you come into our warehouse, um, uh, you, you you can see it. We It's in, it's in theory our, where our building split into three sections. You've got the offices and then the warehouse, and the warehouse itself is split into two sections which is civilian 
and uniform. Um, and when you look out, when you step up in the mezzanine, you can see the 1940s to modern day stock. So all you can see is rail upon wow. rail of hanging clothes organized by gender, by color, by period, and by mm. type. Um, while it does look daunting, and some people refer to it as the maze for a maze runner, uh, we promise we don't move the walls around that much. We only do it every like six to seven months. Um, and it's, it is, to be fair, um, I don't know, Rachel, did you work at Camden when we were in Camden? Have you always been? So uh, Rachel probably understand this more. I never had a full appreciation for costume or what the Angels resources were until we moved to Hendon and you could see the mezzanine because you could just see the sea of clothing going out everywhere wow. whereas before when we were at camden or shaftesbury avenue it was all hidden in the different rooms and different floors and you never got to see the whole collection together so you just get this sea of costumes and color which is fantastic and then if you go down a certain route you'll then end up in the military department and within that department you will see also uniform department sorry and in the uniform department apart from it being a sea of green and brown um obviously with uniforms again it's another mm incredible thing because it's all chronologically organized so if if you're someone who if you like clothing you're going to love coming to angels if you have an appreciation for, uh, for film and tv you're going to love coming to uh, angels if you excuse my language if you're a person who likes to be anally organized you will love coming <laughs> to angels um so it's it, it's just a really interesting place and the way it looks it's you can get lost if you want to get lost you can walk down an aisle you start looking at one item and you'll start looking at another and never start looking at labels because you will be lost for at least half a day um and that's that's even before you've gone into the the the, the plethora of rooms and um facilities that are available for the making departments because not only are the making departments their own entities as well and there's tons of stuff always going on there and it's always interesting even if people don't wouldn't assume it it's really intriguing to see what we are doing it, just in the alterations room because you wouldn't think some of the things we it's like what do you mean you've got to make that fit a man it's a woman's dress or <laughs> what it, it's, it's moving things around and changing things and it's amazing when you start looking at what they've done and what they are doing. And then you've got mm. fabric rooms and the button rooms and all things oh, like that. Goodness. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, it's an event. It's a really intriguing place to be in. And I think a lot of people when they have meetings with angels or they, they think they're coming to angels, whether it's fancy dress or for the film and TV, I just have this look of or thought process that they've gone oh it's just going to be a bunch of offices above above a pokey little fancy dress shop or something um and it's definitely more than that wow i i think perhaps i shouldn't come because you might not be able to get me to leave don't worry we check the bags anyone leave <laughs> yeah make sure you don't find me hiding behind a rail somewhere <laughs> so um, as London Hat Week obviously we're always most interested in headwear although we are all obsessed with costumes and uniforms and buttons and fabric and everything to do with that so um but Rachel could you tell us a little bit about the hats that are at Angels and which kind of periods we we might see in the collection um, well, I suppose in the warehouse, it's probably the most um, it's probably the most displayed hats, and they're displayed around the walls because I think over the years we've struggled with how to store the stock of hats, mm -hmm. 
um, because obviously shoving everything in a large box mm. is just going to damage everything. So a lot of the hats are now displayed, especially straw ones and the ones that are more delicately made. Um, although the type of millinery we do, it does tend to be a bit more robust than fashion millinery because it's going to be theatre and film and, mm. and it's going to have a, a life, hopefully, many years. Um, so there's oh just all the a lot of the bonnets actually um, sort of eighteenth seventeenth and eighteenth century bonnets are displayed around mm. the walls, and the accessory department of to the right of the building um, is and that's where you'll see a lot of bins where things are carefully placed in in sections yeah through that uh, department. Um, just, uh, yeah, the, there is actually a reason, I, I'm sure you've heard the reason, Rachel, of why everything's hanging on the wall. It's, I wish it was because of, um, um, it, 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 for actual logical reasons, but the actual reason <laughs> for it being, the reason for all the hats being held on, held on the wall was um, literally about a week before we moved into this building. Um, my dad was watching TV with my mum at home, and I think they were watching David Jason period thing. And he came in and he took his top hat off and put it under his arm. And my dad went white. And um, my mum was like, what's wrong? And he said, we've not allocated any space to put any of the hats in any oh of the God. building. And uh, he almost had, a, almost had a nervous breakdown because of that. And then came in the next day. And I think it was either Roger or Richard or someone turned around and said, well, why don't we put them on the wall? And that's that. That's why they're all hanging at that that end of the wall. And for me, what's brilliant with that is I visited a costume house. I won't say that two actually around the world that I've been to, and they had them hanging on the wall. And I was like, I was, I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Someone's actually done it for a real reason. So I, I, I asked. I was like, so can I ask why do you hang your your hats on the wall? To which we got. Well, we saw angels do it, so we thought that's oh. what you're meant to do. And I'm like, oh, gosh, no. Um, so, and just just in case anyone listening, when Rachel said bins, please don't think we've got, like, like waste paper bins or things like that. Bins is what we basically, we've got huge metal square containers, which we've got things stacked in that neatly, not damaged, not just thrown in. Um, but um, that's what we mean by bins. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> but I think we should stick to Rachel's answer for having them on the wall because that was the best yeah. possible way to reason, accommodate yeah. them. <laughs> the official they are reason. very difficult though, aren't they? They're mm. just so bulky. It's really it's not very convenient because <laughs> they just don't stack, do they? <laughs> so, um, Rachel, do you have a favourite hat that you've worked on there? Um, I think my favourite hat... Um, has to be more of um, a headdress, um, which was uh, for Dr. D, um, a production made between the Manchester International Festival and the English National Opera. And it was based on the death masks, so they, um, where they have the big beak, where they've oh, got yeah. potpourri. And so it's based on that, so it's got a massive beak and then a really mm. skin-tight sort of leather covering that would go around the neck. And they were basically crows, um, the character of the crows in Dr. Mm. D. And it was fascinating to make, but also seeing the axes and fittings become the character. They instantly mm. started pecking when, oh. and that was lovely character development. It just, you know, in front of your eyes and, and yeah. 
and you sort of felt part of that process and part of their um, acting experience as well. That's wonderful. It's amazing how that the, the costume can make that difference like instantly, isn't it? You see it happen all the time in fittings. Yeah, mm. people f- help. It helps them to find the character. I think. Wow, that's amazing. So, do you, um, Jeremy? Do you spot trends in costume? Um, yeah, you do get to see trends, but um, the the trends that we start seeing also, I think everyone else gets to see. You just get to see it about two years after we do. So. I'm sure mm-hmm. you've sat there watching TV or got, when when we were going to the cinema um, and you were seeing trailers, you're sitting there going, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of 1920s films coming out next week or next mm. month. And um, it's always been that way with the film and TV. It's the, it's, it's the old adage, they're like buses, because suddenly something <laughs> becomes successful. And then mm-hmm. two years after that success, you suddenly see a plethora of other productions trying to, to copy it. I mean... The best one to sort of start with is if you take Gladiator and then look at the success Gladiator had and then follow from there, literally within about a five-year five year span of the release of Gladiator, the amount of big, epic sandals and swords productions that were being made, um, it was it was huge. And then we've got it, had it again in the last five or six years with Game of Thrones. Everyone wants to remake Game of Thrones. You've then... Downton Abbey started it as well. Downton Abbey was a huge um, success. Then you had Mr. Selfridge come along. You had the Halcyon come along. You had, um, I think the Upstairs Downstairs remake happened in the middle of that somewhere. You've had the Downton Abbey film. You've then got Bridgerton. You've got, you can see a lot of things going. And period wise, yes, it is. It gets very, very popular. I think this year, this year, I think it's 19, I think, I think 2020 and 2019 for us was a lot of 1940s. Um, and I'm pretty sure Rachel and her department would hate me if I put any more British Second World War costumes in after the teller <laughs> that we had in 2019. So, um, but yeah, that it, it, we do, do get to see the trends. Um, but I don't think it's anything, it's, it's something you would be able to see as well. It's just always such a shock to us that you're like, seriously, you're, you're green lighting this now. And then, it's, but. we have periods when the when if you're going to like say Victorian department and if you're the mm. last production in on the Victorian department there's nothing left where you have oh. borrowing everything else from different <laughs> eras and then the worst is for us as well is when they're named similarly or they're they could be from the same world I mean I think it was last year we had the go wrong show and the show that goes wrong we had the tv going oh, on. No. we had the theater and it was just like <laughs> okay and um, how confused yeah it's so it did it, but it's it's fun and then it doesn't help at times if they are very similar we have had I think Rachel at times they've been productions very similarly named similarly themed and it's got it, it does get early on. I worked in one year on four Titanics for different countries, and oh no! Yeah, when when Titanic was being made, she's right. We, we had six productions in total, um, and it was crazy. And it was the the whole of the twenties period. They were just, just empty. Absolutely, <laughs> there was no costumes at all. Um, but it happens. And the, the code names are the other fun times. Is it's oh, just the why they choose random names and they 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 demand you adhere to the names. And you're like, everyone knows this is not called whatever it is. It's this. <laughs> but no, we have to refer to it as that. And <laughs> I've recently had it that I've had a production that had four different code names and I had three different departments dealing with us. So we had set deck, costume and props. 
and they all refer to it as a different production and it's like oh gosh. yeah it's just not much fun but no it's uh so yes it's you do notice trends uh, over the past five years the main the main things that are popular are medieval victorian and 1940s i think there will be an uptick um in the next two years of 1980s um possibly 1990s and um but 1980s seems to be getting popular again just because i think yeah. from an age point of view of the demographics they're possibly yes. for you're hitting with it all yeah. also i don't think people uh at times the trends you can see what's popular and what's going to have an impact I think people don't realise how much of an impact sex education might have had two years ago when that started. Mm. And mm. you're seeing a lot more of those sort of... I mean, I'm probably completely wrong in this, and it's just my theory, but if you take <laughs> sex education the way that looked, and mm. um, I'm not being biased because we work with it or anything, I think what Rosa Diaz has done on that job is phenomenal. And if anyone anyone likes to look at colour and productions, you just need to look at a history of Rosa's productions because she's incredible with what she does um but the way it felt when you saw it the first time you had no idea what the period was is it 80s is it 90s modern day america england and then look at bridgerton as a really strange mm. example you look at bridgerton and you know what period it's meant to be and mm. you just there are certain aspects if you want to delve into bridgerton that you could go as periodly incorrect mm but you don't care because it looks beautiful and it's the conversation that happens. Yeah. And um, it probably isn't sex education, it's probably me giving far too much credit to it, but I'd, I'd like to do that because I think that's the first one I can think of in the last three years that properly was period with a twist that got people thinking with it. And Bridgerton is now the best one to point to because Oh, definitely. Yeah. That's just stunning. I mean, it's so, it's kind of, confu you know, really messes with your head when you see it for the first time because you think oh this the, you know doesn't compute how does this how does this work but interesting that you say 80s would come back though because 80s hats I'm thinking like you know Princess Diana and all those kind of little pillboxes and veils and all the the color of of 80s fashions would be would be brilliant could you see that in the workroom Rachel <laughs> oh gosh absolutely absolutely during we were making some military for the crown uh, for the queen and um, I was terrified that all the little hats that the queen wears and the queen mum wears I was like oh I don't want to work on those because <laughs> 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 the colours are so are so in your face especially mm. the queen she does like a bright colour mm. um, and but just the style I was like I don't know if we have the blocks to to facilitate all those makes and but luckily I think they've gone they've not come to us so look at how we allowed to say that but um no we've stuck to the military thank goodness on that one <laughs> oh well that's good so you have um you have milliners in the workroom who are um well, at the moment I'm the only trained milliner in the department mm. but I try and um, those people that are interested in it, and it's most people are, um, mm. I try to give them when we have the time um, and to try and sort of diversify their skills as much as, as I can. So hopefully yeah. bring them into the world of millinery as well. It must be a, a plenty of opportunity to try to learn different skills, actually, because you've, you've, you've got no choice. You have to do it, don't you? Yeah. You take on the job. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and they generally love 
learning new skills so that's great mm. I think I think Rachel's not not understanding it at all, but but she is still slightly which is I think the three workrooms but under her and the the two cutters that we have um in Sophie and Estelle they all do work really really well together and it's it's yes they're independent rooms but the 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 fact that if there's too much work going on or there's a lot of work going on that's just taken men's tailoring and they need waistcoats the instead of having to look outside to maybe get an additional person to come in they know they can talk to Rachel and her team and then get someone to okay we'll show you how to put the pocket on properly on a waistcoat and they'll do it or with ladies makings we we, we need help on uh, we need help making aprons for some period maids that we're doing that instead mm. of doing it in ladies making Rachel and her team will take over and do, and do that so there is the that they, they they spread there is so much ability in all three rooms yes they're all independent but they work really seamlessly and where it's it's I don't know what it was like before right properly before Rachel because my involvement wasn't on that side of the business but it's definitely something that's gone on I'm sure Maria would have been the same and Sarah probably as well um but they flow over everything and you just need to look at Rachel's history that she she, she was a wig maker she's a milliner she's now running alterations that that that's what mm. want. you don't want we've never been a company that will sit there and go we just want someone who's going to do job a it's yeah. always A, B, C, D, and it's it's not even done with any resistance. I think they all enjoy it and they see the opportunity. Um, Estelle is a perfect example. She started off in alterations and she's now on her cuts after going away in ladies making. So it's, yeah, yeah I, I'm, not, I'm not saying for one second Rachel's mm -hmm. underselling it at all, but I think it's it goes on far better. It, it's, it's quite impressive to see what, what how they all work, all three rooms and um, flow and, it's yeah the, the the training that they can all do and what they get access to is incredible it sounds great and and it sounds like yeah you know, i'm sure there are lots of milliners who be listening to this and thinking well i want to work there too so <laughs> how what would you advise them to do anybody who wanted to um join angels join the team um i think it's just practice um practice and um you um and utilize the skills that you have and just you know, upcycling um, other things and using because it's all. I mean, hats are a great where place to start if you've got a small piece of fabric or a small piece of trim that's beautiful but possibly mm. antique. So you're not you can't go into a shop and buy it, but you can use that on a hat because it's a small mm. piece and you can give it a real sort of stage, you know, and make something yes. beautiful from something very small, um, which is a lovely thing. Being able to sew, it sounds such a silly thing to say, but you'll be amazed at people who actually do try and work here who can't sew. And I'm I'm completely aiming it from the making side because I'm not having Rachel point that at me because she knows I can't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's another thing. But it's it's all just, yeah, it's just play to your strengths, but be open to other yeah. things. But you also got to pass a test that Rachel set you. So you've got to get past but Rachel. What we do love as well is um, the internship <laughs> program that we've been running, because that gives us six weeks of having somebody that may or may not have done a course, um, but the mm. six weeks period um, really helps us mm. know that person, know their skills, know how they work, whether they're going to fit into the room. Um, yeah because we have to have people that are open to doing anything. We can't, as Jeremy said, we can't have people that say, oh, I don't do ladies wear. Yes. Um, 
So we, we need that plethora. All people yes. go, oh, yes, of course, how can you use the same machines? Like, well, can you use an industrial? And, you know, in half an hour or half a day's interview mm. that we'd normally do, you don't know, you can't find that out about people or the people's skills and, and their attitude. Whereas if you have someone for six weeks, there's nowhere mm. to hide. And I, and I can, and that's been a fabulous way of us filling our room with really good and talented people. Great. That works both ways, right? Because, you know, the person coming in, it's good for them to understand what it's like. And maybe they're, you know, maybe they can't cope with that level of um, swapping around between different tasks. Yeah. Um, so that sounds like a great, a great opportunity, great way to get to know a candidate and for them to get to know the company. Yeah. Um, so, so what would you say has been the most challenging thing that you've had in the workroom? Gosh, I think it's probably volume sometimes mm. when we get a large amount of military or something um and then there'll be i mean half the room could be working on on that which is old and dirty and we need to clean it <laughs> and make it look like it's just stepped out of <laughs> into a wars into a war zone <laughs> and then at the other side of the workroom can be working on white um aprons or maids or nurses or nuns outfits and then and so trying to separate control the workroom yeah. not only in volume but also in cleanliness because <laughs> of the, um, the the position of that and it's like so yeah it's 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 generally volume and time scale wow that's, that's funny that even that just with. makes me feel nervous the working on white just ever working on white you're just guaranteed to cut yourself <laughs> <laughs> or if your sewing machine's going to leak oil, it'll be there. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Guaranteed. At one time a year, yes, thanks. <laughs> so, um, Jeremy, what do you think is your most uh, frequently uh, loaned out hat? Individual? I don't know. I'd say top, a top hat. No, um, I'm not sure, actually. It probably is going to be a top hat or something like that, but it's... Um, it's possibly military caps. Yeah, it probably oh. would be. It probably be like like a, a the Second World War officer's black cap or something like that because that's quite a standard one. Um, yeah, I think it's a difficult one for me because I don't. It sounds so weird. It's it, it's well, the, it could even be a piece of jewelry. Although I know at Sacrilege to say like a crown or something like that is millinery. I know that, but it's still um, it could, <laughs> headwear. Yeah, headwear, uh, but no, probably a top, top hat or start, uh, or a top old bowler hat. Or as Rachel said, yeah, it's probably a Second World War officer's uh, cap, mm-hmm. probably. But um, we don't keep records like that. Actually, it's quite interesting. We don't track how often a piece is used. Uh, mm. Just because we change it so much, and it can, mm. if, as I said earlier on, if 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 we need to do something to it, like completely change the color, and there's a way of doing it, Rachel and her department will change a green cap red very easily, and then change it back to green, and we'll forget why we used it in red. Like in oh wow, yeah, that must play havoc with your inventory. So yeah, it's, um, <laughs> so, it's yeah, it's, so our most used hat. It's probably going to be something very very simple as that. Um, yeah. But you you do keep your eyes on certain things, but it's like. Oddly enough, the only pieces I have in my my office that are actually I keep set aside when I look at it now are all all hats actually that that have some <laughs> form of meaning to me. I've not realised it until I'm just looking over. There's wow. four of them sitting here, so um, it's definitely not them because I don't let them leave out of my sight. So uh, <laughs> I know, yeah, I'd probably say a Second World War officer's uh, hat probably. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. So we I've actually been 
uh, to do a bit of uh, background research on you. I've been listening to your podcast and they're they're really interesting. And um, so I, I would urge anybody else listening to this to to tune into that because you have such a range of, of guests and interesting for us as milliners to hear from costume designers um, and to understand what it's like to go through fittings as a as an actor and you know all the different roles that are involved in um, in costume it, it's quite amazing um, but Jeremy could you also tell us about the book that's come out recently yes yeah, sure um, the book we have is uh, Angel's Costume Behind the Scenes um, it was released for our 175th anniversary and it's basically a history of angels but it's a it's a really beautiful coffee table book and I'm not just saying that because my name's on it it's um <laughs> the photographs are stunning we've got cost photos in there that we've never released before of different pieces um we've got the history of angels the history of cinema um you have the other lady you're interviewing at the moment handiwork of how she had to recreate um <laughs> uh 18th century bo uh, bonnet to match my dad's favorite dress which yeah, the dress and the hat sit right outside my office and uh we used it was done for the book originally and then we now use it as a point of explaining to people on the tours and everything that you can have something that's completely period and original and the hat that sits next to it unless mm. i told you rachel made that six years ago you'd think it was matching from the same period so um, you get that step-by-step -step guide of that. It's 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 a beautiful book. It tells the story of angels. It goes into great detail about the history of costume in film and TV. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's also a really good companion piece to go along with the tour if you go on the tour. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's what we the, the the to be fair, the book is in theory based on the tours that my self. Uh, Mark and Angela from Alterations also do. Brilliant. Well, I can't wait for us to be able to organise those tours once again. I know um, it, it was so disappointed that we couldn't go ahead um, with them before, but um, let's hope that we we can do in in the future because you've you've both painted a great picture of of what's there. It's tantalising. I, <laughs> I want to come and have a look at those miles and miles of rails, all those different colours, um, and to um, admire and celebrate the fact that you've got your hats on the wall because <laughs> that's the best way to put them. <laughs> So I'd just like to thank you both, Jeremy and Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really fun talking to you, getting to know angels a little bit more and um, hope to meet you in person in the future. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Rachel from Angels and um, so I just wondered what what you thought about that and what um, what you think people will take from that interview yeah it was fascinating I mean first of all I think we are all desperate to get in there in real life because it just sounds amazing I mean true um, yeah I think that's that's number one but also I just think you know when we're watching these television shows and, and seeing um, parades with the military and different things, you, you kind of get a greater appreciation of what goes into those hats and the costumes and, you know, right. you know, something like Bridgerton or, you know, you just think how many yeah. costumes are in the background, you know, there's the main characters and then there's just 
endless and everyone is done perfectly. And, yeah. um, you know, just a, an, accreci- uh, an appreciation for the costume designers, but also the work that goes into making that. And, and it's, to me, like, amazing to think there there are still some real workrooms happening. There are still, you know, people who specialize in cutting and specialize in um, in the different parts of the making process, which I think is more what used to happen in couture and um, sadly isn't as much happening anymore, but it is still happening. And, and those skills are being retained there, which I think is is great. That's true. And it it's really authentic as well. It's not like they're making kind of... Um, a, a, a uniform that looks like it and there's a zip up the back or something they're actually making it as if it's a real one and the hats and everything are really they're beautifully made I've, I've seen a lot of them myself because we we've worked with costume departments through atelier and so we've seen a lot of the angels um inventory if you like so it's it's really amazing what they can do they literally turn their hand to anything which is what Rachel was saying so fabulous opportunity for anybody who does have a chance to get some work experience um, or even a, a permanent role in in that team absolutely and I think you know when people start making hats it's easy to just think of having your own business doing hats for the races but there are other ways that you can be a milliner and have a career in it um and that is a really interesting one and i think theatrical millinery is always uh fascinating to me as well because it it needs some different um attributes i think it needs to be very to wear well it needs to you know be durable and um so there's some different skills involved although a lot of transferable ones but you know, I think if anyone is interested in, in pursuing that type of career, there are courses um, that you can get going on in different places, especially if you are in London. Um, I know Morley does some great millinery courses, both short courses and longer ones, mm-hmm. and also costume and fashion. And, and there's so much um, overlap there, I think, especially when you're looking yes. at theatrical millinery. So um, I think what Rachel said about practice, 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 it's all about getting really good at, at the basics um, of the craft um, to, to pursue something like that. Absolutely. And one of the things she was talking about was adapting things. And I think that's a, a really essential skill to have as a milliner. And especially in these times where we're talking a lot about sustainability, which is something that we're going to tackle on another of these podcasts as working in a, a workroom like Angels, you would be kind of unpicking things and taking them back to basics and possibly refurbishing them and and prolonging their life. And I think that that's a really important skill to have. And it's also a great way of learning how things are constructed because it's when you take them apart and have to build them back up again that you really see the work involved and you have to be really careful because you don't want to wreck the the essential um, construction of the item and and you want to really preserve as much of it as possible especially if there's some heritage there you know if it it is a genuinely um, an original article you really want to preserve as much of it as possible but just make it last longer so but it's great it's a great way to learn definitely um and I think also you 
you know, if you are interested in that kind of role, you have to be able to work under pressure. I think I know you've done you've done some work mm-hmm. with films and TV, and and you don't always get a long lead time, do you? And things can change mm-hmm. very quickly. So yeah. I'm sure they have to be very adaptable, not only in what they can make, but also in just yeah. taking on new instructions and being willing to chuck out what you've just done and start again. I yeah, would. that's right. Yeah, that end that end deadline never shifts. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> it's just the. <laughs> The amount of yeah. notice that you get might might yeah. change, um, but yeah, it's it's certainly good training um, in every aspect of millinery as well. Because another really important part of um, learning to be a milliner is dealing with customers and all sorts of different customers. So it may be a member of the public, or it's another person in your team, um, or your your team leader, or the end client. And in that case, it could be anybody on the production because um, you don't always get a consistent point of contact. So it's great, great training all around, I'd say, and really interesting learning from them. It's obviously something that they're still really passionate about, even though they've, they've been in the business for a long time. And hey, Jeremy, it's his family's been in it for, what did he say, eight generations? Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, and it was amazing. He is definitely still extremely, you know, it's his family business and uh, and wants to do the best job he can. And I, yeah, that's, that's so rare these days that it's, it's great to see it still happening and succeeding. And yeah, it is. It's brilliant. I can't wait for us to be able to get the tours going again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get down there myself for a good snoop and, uh, and to see it all up close and personal. So, so let's hope we can get those things off the ground as well. Absolutely. Um, so um, we should probably wrap it up and um, can you let people know where they can find us and um, if they want to listen to more London Hat Week podcasts absolutely this is the first of season two so there'll be lots more to come as we were talking about earlier but there's also a whole of season one that you can go back and listen to um, and you can find that on the Morley Radio website we also have links on the London Hat Week website and you can visit at London Hat Week on Instagram and you'll find it in our, our link tree there so you can listen that way so we hope that you catch up on what you've missed and join us for future episodes as well and we thank you for joining us today and hope that you've enjoyed the london hat week podcast with morley radio